Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. Today is Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and we are on day four out of five in our special expanded five-week, five-days-a-week Left of Straight Show interviews during corona quarantine of 2020. As we said yesterday, normally the show plays on Mondays and Tuesdays, but we are going Five days a week, I'm opening the show live every day, having a couple live interviews throughout the week, closing the show live, and I have a lot of pre-tape interviews with some amazing people coming on that have been out of work, frankly, due to the quarantine and not being able to work. So I have singers, actors, um, advocates, all sorts of great people coming on. So I'm excited to do that for you every day. So we're going to be here Monday through Friday, at least this week and next week, and probably the next two after that, bringing you some amazing interviews from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time and 9 to 11 Eastern time. So I'm just excited. we got interviews with everybody from entertainment, foodies, books, pop culture, and advocacy. In just a minute, I have three more great all-new interviews for you. They're all pre-taped. But uh, we just talked to them all the last couple of days. Up first is writer, director, and producer Billy Clift. He's been a great friend of the show, done some amazing work behind the camera, writing and producing some great films, as well as directing many and short-form projects such as web series and features and all of that. After Billy, we're going to bring up the amazing original artist, Paul Richmond. He's originally from near me in Columbus, now living in California. We've kind of flip-flopped lives there. He's been creating some amazing art series, and he has a new commission he just did for out singer Troy Savan, which is amazing. He also has put some of his art on masks, which is great during Corona 2020. So he'll be on next uh, after uh, Billy, and then we're ending it up today with an up-and-coming actor, comedian, model, and a current fitness trainer. He has a great personal story of hope and survival in the business. So three brand-new great interviews for you today. So I'm not going to take much time to talk. We're going to play them all back-to-back, and I will finish up alive at the end of the show. So enjoy. Thanks again for being part of the Left of Straight Show. Let's start off with a little music from our friends Brandon and James, and I will see you on the other side. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
I'm doing the I'm doing really well for for what we're doing in the universe. I think we're doing great. You know, I'm just uh, keeping myself busy editing away on so many wonderful projects that I have. And uh, so uh, I'm keeping excited and trying to be very optimistic about the future. Oh, that's all we can do, my friend. There's not much else we can do, and I'm glad you're doing that. I mean, you worked so hard. This has either got to be a catch-up time for you or you're just going crazy with all the projects you're working on at home. This is truly a catch-up. Uh, um, I had so many in the, uh, in the works that what's great, the positive of all this is I actually will be able to get caught up. Uh, things that were that that we've already shot that are just sitting there uh, to some projects that were uh, shorts or even features that were written but still needed to be fleshed out, etc. Uh, all that. Right. I mean, I sometimes have to wake up at three in the morning to uh, work on on writing, and then I wake go back right. to sleep, and then I wake up again at, at at like eight, and then get back to editing. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to shuffle all the different projects. I have to go, okay, what am and I going to work for? And repeat this? afterwards, huh? There you yeah, go. this half of the day, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do this afternoon? <laughs> well, you deserve then, the time, like you said, to play that catch-up because you are always doing something, my friend. I Every time I turn around, it's like, oh, Billy's doing this project for me. Oh, by the way, Billy's doing that. I don't think you know how to say no to anybody, my friend. <laughs> I don't when it, when when I think it's a good project. It's I I will uh, I I just uh, I just feel that I need to be a part as many things that will continue my growth as a director, um, editor, or maybe a writer in particular, or uh, whatever I'm doing. I do a lot of being the DP as well, uh, and I just um, I I just want to busy and and it helps me grow. I constantly am getting better and better and better at what I do. And that's what I believe we're here for is, you know, is, is just keep on getting better at it. Well said. Well, let's start with, <laughs> I mentioned in the intro, the Emmy nominated long road to freedom. That was uh, just wild. The crowded out fest um, playing on Amazon. Now, I believe we need some really good content online which uh, luckily we're finding in these times of woe here. Let's remind everyone about that project a little bit. Yes, it was a, it was, it definitely was a pinnacle of my career to have this amazing uh, documentary about the advocate, uh, Long Road to Freedom. The advocate celebrates 50 years. To be able to go from 1967 after the Black Cat. Uh, after there was an experience at the Black Cat Tavern here in Los Angeles and Silver Lake, uh, where uh, New Year's Eve, uh, seven undercover cops uh, beat up all the, the, the people that were in the, the uh, bar right at midnight because it was illegal for two men to kiss. And as soon as they saw them kiss, they started beating the pulp out of them, uh, where people ended up in the hospital, which, and a month later, which caused uh, the first huge of three or 400 people of uh, a, a protest, a silent uh, protest, but it was a protest and very few people knew about it. And that's where this documentary really started. And then it went through all the years of, of, uh, of the LGBT uh, community and what they did. And we're kind of focusing on Los Angeles because Los Angeles has been left out a lot of, of our history of what happened. Right. We heard a lot about, about uh, you know San Francisco, we've always heard about. We've always heard about New York, 
But this, this definitely, even though I didn't ignore those other amazing things, I tried to make sure that we brought some things on, on what L.A. did. And, that's, and also the advocate is from Los Angeles. And even though it really wasn't a documentary, I had one uh, reviewer just like, oh, well, it's, not, it's kind of the wrong name because it wasn't completely about the advocate. And I said, no, it's not. It's about our history and the advocate happened there through the entire time. So it, it constantly exactly. goes back to the advocate, but it's, it's not about the advocate completely. It's about what we've been through and how much we as a, as a, a people have gone through to get where we are today and how much more we need to do. And we are continuing to do it, you know? So uh, I, I'm so proud of this project and um that kind of leads to uh, heroes pieces that I'm doing for Here TV, which are mini documentaries that are in the same genre. Uh, um, that's on Here TV right now, and they're called Heroes. Right. And David Melbourne, Mel, David Melbourne is the producer on that. And we just did three so far, but we have about seven more after that to complete. And one was Michael Childers, if you know who he is, was uh, John Schlesinger's husband, but he was also. A, a prolific uh, a photographer who took photos right. of every important important star imaginable, and uh, uh, his his they're all about ten fifteen minutes long. Uh, Aaron Walton, who's an amazing public relations man, who uh, used to go be on tour with Michael Jackson and so many other amazing things, and then of course Gloria Allred, who uh, people may not say that she's an LGBT person, but the reality is that she started in the the uh, uh, 70s of uh, getting behind uh, and, and helping the LGBT community um, when they were put in incarceration, et cetera. And she was right there and she helped and she did amazing stuff and she continues. She, what a phenomenal lady that is. Oh, definitely. She was advocating when advocating wasn't cool. I mean, she's just, exactly. uh, her life is amazing. You know, she's just like you, she sees it as we're all equal end of story and if you are being taken advantage of I'm going to be there for you and she's amazing and I had dinner with her just before this all came down and it was just it's so much fun to sit there with her because she's so different than how she appears on TV she's she giggles and laughs and tells (laughs) stories she's so real and then of course you see her on TV and she looks like if you said one thing to her she'd slap you you know <laughs> right exactly that's hilarious i love that well those of you out there if you don't have amazon and why don't you during this little corona 2020 but uh go ahead and check back the leftist rate archives we've had david and billy on when the show first came out and you really have to listen more about this and get it yourselves and i love these here projects we're going to talk we talked about heroes i want to talk about underground in a second but uh, talk about Here TV. They've been a great partner with you guys. And we just heard today, I think, that Logo TV is laying off people. I mean, it's tough times out there right now for yeah. digital and print. Um, it just They've been such great backers of you. Talk about that and then talk about Underground a bit. Yeah, uh, they just, uh, you know, I was so fortunate way back when I did my um, feature film, uh, Hush Up Sweet Charlotte, with them. Um, uh, and that was where our relationship started, uh, which was, what, three years ago, I believe it came out. Um, and uh, if no one knows that, that's starring Mink Stoll and Varla Jean Merman and a, a whole bunch of uh, wonderful drag artists. 
all playing the, the, the roles, the, the female roles, uh, a bit of a spoof also on uh, – on here TV, of course, <laughs> or Amazon Prime, you can get it there. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> and we just hit it off, you know. We just um, uh, there, David in particular. He and I just have a real amazing camaraderie, and we just kind of get it in the same way. We work the same way, so we're able to uh, take a project and move forward, and really, really clearly see what we need to do and move, you know, and and and. We have the same, we're like looking at during casting and go, yeah, we both agree and, and all that kind of stuff. Even down to music, I'll put some, some music in and go, oh my God, that's exactly what I was thinking of, you know, and that's, and that's a, a wonderful, nice. uh, you know, thing to have. Um, Underground is a, uh, a, a travel show that we started with. Uh, we actually only do one maybe once a year or a little bit more than one, twice a year. Because uh, we started way back, uh, right after Hush Up, Sweet Charlotte, almost a couple of years ago, and um, uh, it's starring, uh, starring Charlie Harding, who is our host, who's a singer slash uh, model slash um, I don't think he'd mind to say an ex porn star, um, but he also does a lot of events. He's no longer in the porn industry, but he does a lot of events uh, right now, particularly in in Palm Springs. Uh, right now, particularly nowhere, but probably his living room. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a <laughs> who knows I don't know what he's doing right now even though we talk all the time but who knows but anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's our host and he's so charming and easy to look at and he's just a he's just a kind of one of those good old type guys you know he just makes everybody feel right. comfortable and so we go to different cities and we're looking at uh, truly from a gay perspective we're we're looking at um, what to do, what to see, where to go, what clubs, what what nights should you go to a club, where do you go and cruise, where do you maybe go and find some fun? You know, I mean, we try to keep it where to go to eat, uh, where to stay. Um, and, and we do anything from um, being very, like, for everybody to being a little, you know, a little, 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 a little more fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right, uh, right. Charlie's just just lovely at that. And our next one that's going to be coming out in June is for Silver Lake slash DTLA. So it's right here where I live. I live in Silver Lake, and DTLA is not right. that far away. And downtown LA is what DTLA is, and that's really turned into its own gay community now. I mean, it's probably the only place in the city that new gay clubs are opening. Um, uh, there are three right now in downtown LA, as well as a lot of gay people have been moving to downtown LA because of the whole rejuvenation. And so they even yeah, have a huge that. pride. Yeah, they have a huge pride in August. We'll see if that will will happen this year. Uh, but this this is uh, showing. Uh, this episode shows also a big uh, uh, street fair that, that we have here called uh, Sunset um, Off Sunset kind of like a baby version of Folsom. And, okay. uh, and it's, nice. right, it's right at the bottom of my street every year. And then uh, so we, we were, he's there and seeing what's that all about, as well as seeing the bars here in this area and downtown. And, and it's, it's just, it's fun. I'm really proud of it. And it was something that, that uh, I pretty much had carte blanche and just had a lot of fun doing. And he's a great guy to deal with. So that's in June. There you go. That'll be coming out in June. 
<laughs> we will be on the lookout so, for that. And like we talked about Palm Springs, I think that's the last time that you and I got to talk was when you came out to the show last summer, and we had a great screening over there of uh, Baby Jane. That was a great night, yes. my friend. Uh, they honored you that as they was. should have. And how fun was that for you? That was so much fun. And, you know, I mean, I I was like, I remember it was, you're always like, as a filmmaker, you're always like, oh, what if nobody shows up? Oh, what if nobody really cares anymore? I mean, you know, we're human and we just have all these like, oh, you know, and then it just turned right. out to be packed and everybody was having such a great time. And um, and I hadn't seen it, of course, in years. And, and uh, I don't mind looking at my work especially after a while, you know, after I'm no longer um, uh, with every, every shot, I'm rethinking it or, or being really critical about it. So, yeah, but like that evening I was able to just let go and kind of be with the audience and enjoy their laughter. And, and I'm always surprised what they laugh at, et cetera. And it's, it's a fun show. I, I, I'm really proud of it. That was my first feature film and, uh, we got amazing reviews when it came out, like, particularly on like a variety, and, which was a shock uh, for your first film. And it actually gave me the understanding that maybe I could do this because I had been, as you know, a hair and makeup artist for all my life. Right. And uh, uh, I think I sent you that picture of uh, Elizabeth Montgomery and I. And I uh, did. I read was that my... today is the anniversary, right? Yes, it's her birthday. It was her birthday today. And um, so uh, every year on her birthday, I put that picture of she and I. It's the only one that we actually ever took that I know of. It's the only one I have. And uh, because we were together all the time. I even remember one time I, she had given me a, a photograph of her. And I said, would you mind signing it? And she looked at me. She says, well, what do you need that for? I'm there. We're almost with each other <laughs> almost every day. And I laughed. And again, then I never asked for anything. And I never asked to even be in a photo with her. I never wanted to be that person to her, you know? (laughs) But uh, I was fortunate fortunate to start with her in 1982 until she passed away uh, in 1995. So uh, And you wrote a great book about that and that previous life as well. So people need to check that out if they can – wrangle themselves a copy of that as well yeah yeah what is it called everything's going to be just fine something like that <laughs> the ramblings of a <laughs> that's bad hairdresser that's, that's it, it actually <laughs> ding 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 <laughs> yeah it, I'm, it's such another life now because i am in such a I different bet. world being a director and writer and doing that all on this end that it's like uh, i'll tell you though i'm definitely probably the hardest on the hair and maple when I'm doing a show. <laughs> I kind of pity them. I like that. That makes sense. <laughs> well, I it was truly, definitely a night of love there in Palm Springs. The entire room was loving every second of you. Loved the film. It was a great question and answer time. It was a good good evening, yeah. my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to move on Go to on. Uh, a couple other projects. I just had uh, Terry Ray and Lonnie Anderson on the show about three or four weeks ago. And, of course, we had the great uh, Sam Irvin direct the first season of that. He's gone on to all his Christmas movies and everything. But you came in to helm the second season of My Sister is So Gay. I love the look of it now, the season look of it. It's, it's 
so good. Tell me about how it was working on that show. Oh, it was wonderful. You know, I mean, uh, they brought me in and they did, you know, and we discussed it. And I said the uh, the way I felt that it needed to be, I thought he did a wonderful job. Nothing against Sam. I'm not talking about that. But they came to me and I have a different aesthetic and idea. That's all. And right. so I felt. I felt, yeah, it means nothing to do with him. It's just what I do. And so I said, this is what, if you're going to come to me, this is what I think we should do, is we've got to pull down the the big sight gags or anything too broad, keep the same dialogue, but play it all down. I said, let, right. let the jokes happen without being broad. Let's keep, let's pull it all down and keep it more real. And make it look real. And they all jumped on board with that. They all just really got what I was saying. I said, let's cut the music all out. Let's keep it simple. Let's use something like Schitt's Creek as our, our, our kind of uh, uh, an idea of where we want to go. And I really feel uh, that we accomplished that with these two seasons. Um, uh, they were initially going to be, I believe, five episodes short and then they decided to cut it in, in both of them in half so that they'd be a half hour each so there'd be two more seasons right. um, uh, and um, they they move fluidly um, Lonnie Anderson is a joy to to work with uh, what professionalism and um, we had uh, Deborah Wilson who every time she's on set She's as crazy as a loon in a good way. And she's always always entertaining anyone. And she's always talking. But as soon as you go, if you look at her and she knows she's talking too much, she shuts up. You know what I mean? She's just a complete pro, but she's so much fun. And she, I just love, every time she was on set, uh, I just loved working with her. And then Ray Dong Chong, of course, was was introduced these two seasons as well as her girlfriend, right. who just is hilarious. She's just hilarious. Her, uh, her, her just uh, you, you. What I just love the way she added to uh, to fill things out. It was really wonderful. So yes, I, I'm 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 proud of it. I was very uh, very excited with the way it came out. Um, and, well, you uh, should be. I was very things. happy for Carrie, but I, there was definitely I could see the difference. I knew you were the DP on it. It looked more like yeah. a film, which I really liked about it. I liked, like you said, some of the things they pulled back. I love the sight gag though with Lonnie and her prince. I thought that was fun though. It wasn't too broad. I mean, there was some good. Stuff no, it there. was just funny, and it's yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And those are the things I wanted to just just let them be. They're going to be funny on their own, and that's what I said. I said let all these things be. You know, I said don't 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 be too much like um I don't know a, a, that that kind of stagey uh, stuff that right. often is in that is in sitcoms often. I mean, they still are. It's, it's, I, I I just watched broke and everything was just a little too broad and I just everything was a one-liner you know and uh to me yeah. that doesn't always carry you through and of course we got a little too just like uh just like that moment with with Lonnie on the bed and I just said I said okay Lonnie in this scene I really want you to go there and I want you to cry I want to see tears and she went oh okay okay and the next day 
was the the shooting that particular scene. And I uh, just said, how are you doing? Are you good? You feel good about this? He said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And, you know, and we shot that, and she delivered, and that tear came rolling down her face at the end. And then I said, cut. And she went, look, look, I did it. <laughs> she pointed to her tear. It was, it was a great so poignant cute. scene. You didn't see those in the first one. So, yeah, I think, like I said, you guys well, are I, I, right on the mark here. Very, That very was one cool. of the things I brought in, too, as I said. Today's comedy is not just comedy. It's, it's you've got to get deeper with the characters. You've got, I kept on going, well, why, you know, I, I said to them the first thing after I read it, I said, why is the mother there? What would she, what, I mean, she shouldn't be just a sight gag. She has to have a purpose. Well, she's there to apologize to her kids. She loves her kids. She wants to be around them. And that all comes across, I think, beautifully now, you know, why she's really there, you know. Yes, she has a little cocktail problem, but that's funny. (laughs) There you go. And we haven't got to see it yet, but you also worked on our good buddy Scott Travis's uh, to his mom there, Kathy Garver, uh, with a little pilot there, written by uh, Michael Vaccaro, and I know you punched that up a bit, quite a bit. Talk about how that experience was. Well, that was a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, uh, we all, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember Family Affairs, so <laughs> I, I Sadly, I am too, show. Billy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we, we It was know. on right we before Courtship of Eddie's Father is how old I am, but never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I watched it then, too. I watched it then, too. But, you know, I was only a, a, a year and a half, you know. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, it was, it it was really fun when, when uh, Scott came to me and he just felt that I was the right person to direct it. Um, uh, I, I was excited about it and, and uh, we started looking through the script and I, I, anytime I do a script, I do ask that I have a little hearsay just because uh, I find sometimes it, it, you just need a different uh, perspective, someone coming in and looking at it from a different way. And plus, I'm also sure. shooting it, so I'm I'm seeing the way it's going to be shot in my head as soon as I read it, and so I know what, I, and I start editing it in my head too, so I know what's missing, and um, sometimes when people are writing, and I've done this many times myself, is you forget to fill those gaps in sometimes, so um, uh, right. I did do that with Aunt Sissy, and uh uh, everybody was wonderful. Renee Lawless and Patrika Darbo, who play her best friends, are just wonderful. They're hilarious. Uh, yeah, Renee Lawless is from the Haves and the Haves Nots, the Tyler Perry show. And Patrika right. Darbo was on Bold and the Beautiful and so many other things. And they're just, just to be with. And we had Susan Anton, if you remember her, play a, a small little role as a and she was a, a wonderful cameo in this. And, and uh, we shot it in, I believe, three days, insane three days. And um, I, I'm really pleased with it where, of course, everything's on hold. And that's because the universe is on hold right now. So it won't be coming out until we find the right space for it, you know, because they, he wanted right. to do a big uh, premiere at a theater and let everybody see it and then start moving it into 
uh, on, uh, you know, on, on uh, putting it out there. So, well, right. everything's a little on hold with that, but that's that's okay because um, uh, I tell you, for the first few weeks when this all happened, I I kind of stopped doing every anything. Um, it kind of threw me for a loop, like so many other people, and now I'm back to work, but. It definitely exactly. Like, oh, it's okay, going to change the we... business a lot too. I think we're getting all sorts of brand new business models out there with the success of streaming, so many live events now and things like that. I think the business is actually going to change a bit. I don't know if it's going to be for the better yet or not, um, but I think yeah, it's going to change either. the models on a lot of things. I think totally. I think how are we going to be? I think that what's going to you know, I mean, just listening to our governor, um, uh, who's amazing. I feel so fortunate that we have such a great governor in charge of all this um, uh, because he's actually makes sense when you listen to him. <laughs> right. Uh, who thought, some, huh? some other people, you know, who is that? Uh, but uh, he just said recently uh, today, yesterday, I believe it was that, um, you know, it could be quite a while before we can sing or, or having huge venue uh, things. So uh, I think it's yeah. going to have to change the way we shoot something. Um, it's going to have, and now I use, I'm on the indie budget, so it won't affect me in the same way because I still have a minimal crew and, but it's still even us. I'm sure we're going to have to have a little more distancing, a little more being careful. Uh, but I can't imagine what the big blockbusters that have thousands and thousands of people working on it. That'll be interesting to see the way they work more so than right and just to I see it afterwards i mean a lot of these independent films count on smaller theaters and stuff to get the word out and get them going and you have to you may not even look at that happening with everyone all together exactly. so the words even gonna be smaller festival. so yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be festival. a whole different right yeah it's going to be I online mean, you know i mean uh, so it's it's we're just going to have to sit back and see uh, i also have a uh, production company um, uh, called C, uh, God, what is it called? <laughs> C5. Uh, C5 Productions, is that what it is? I don't know. C2, something fine. I, uh, I didn't write production. that one down. I, I don't, it's something yeah. fine. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. well, that's we'll have to put C, that in yeah, the notes. <laughs> but, but I have a different one where I have it and I do it for companies. For, for uh, I do um, uh, uh, just uh, things to promote the company. So there oh, are gotcha. actually many okay. docs for a company. And um, um, I just had a meeting with my, my uh, um, partner and we were discussing how we were going to go forward even now with uh, Zoom interviews and uh, that kind of thing. And then just like they're doing right. on, you're seeing so many commercials right now with just left the photograph, people talking underneath it, uh, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're having, we're trying to like think about what we can do now to help different companies stay as survive and also keep their clients know that they're still there, you know, because if you don't hear from someone, you don't know they exist anymore. It's like they, what happened, sure. you know? So um, that's something that we're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to make that work. And we can, we know we can. Oh yeah. Um, I think I also, especially when you're innovators, I mean, you're a huge innovator. A lot of the LGBT entertainment industry are huge innovators because they've had to be, um, working with smaller budgets and trying to get break through the monotony of mainstream there. And so people like you who have this amazing talent have always been able to break through and come up with ways to get the word out, 
and bring quality product, I think that's what it's all going to come down to again. I think I think oh, it's going to happen. You. You, yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, if anyone can figure it out, it's going to be you, my friend. I'm going to. I don't have any choice. I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, I have a talk about uh, our lady in the uh, kitchen a bit. I want to hear a little bit about this project. Yes. I love the set our, design on it. Uh, talk about it's that. A, it's a documentary um, on a painting. Uh, it all started uh, uh, with this guy, uh, uh, Craig Gilmore, and his husband David Crocker. Actually, they're not married yet, so I guess they're not husbands. They're re- in a relationship like 15 years. Um, and they live here in Silver Lake, and they got a knock on the door from uh, um, ICE, I believe it is, uh, and saying that we believe that you have a painting that had been taken by the that had been stolen by the Nazis. We believe you have one. Well, they didn't really believe them, um, and but they gave them a card and said, "This is how you can look it up to find out if this is the painting." And they did a lot of uh, research and found out that they bought this painting from an auction house in New York City. And the name on the painting was kind of incorrect, uh, and what, incorrect in the way that uh, it had been the uncle instead of the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the nephew who painted it. It okay. had actually been the original artist. And it's, all, it's always common that in these painting houses, so to speak, there's different people who will paint different things, you know? And uh, so they all thought it was just the nephew had painted it, but it turned out to be the the most important person or the artist who actually painted this painting. And it had been stolen by the Nazis. So it had ended up being a secondary. Yeah. A second, they thought it was a secondary painting that was just good. And it turned out that it was a very important Flemish artist. Uh, so it was true. So they they went fine. We got to give it back to the Polish International Museum. The muse- it was stolen from the museum in like 1937, and it should be back to where it, it rightfully it, where it should be. So a year later, they they did send it back. It took a while within this year, and then a year later, they went back for this big huge ceremony because it's a really big deal in Poland when anything is returned. They've had, um, it's been a very tumultuous world for that country. It's been taken over by so many different countries over through the years. And so they really celebrate when anything comes back to them. And so it was a big deal. The prime minister was there. It was huge. And the prime minister introduces them, and he ignores the fact that it was two of them. He only says, Craig Gilmore uh, has given this lovely painting back. And they didn't really, really think about it, but they're conservative there. And they found out as, as, as they all kind of like, it all started to kind of sink in a few days later, like going, what just happened? We weren't even acknowledged as a couple. We were acknowledged as one person. So uh, they had gotten a hold of already KPH, which is their LGBT uh, big foundation in in, um, in Warsaw. And uh, so they kind of talked to them and they said, well, yes, you didn't know this, but all the conservative stations ignored that you had a partner and really only pointed to you. And then the non-conservative stations, which were few, said the whole story. 
so this was being whitewashed. And all of a sudden they were going, well, this is really fascinating. And then people started calling this painting a gay painting. So it started shifting the whole, just them giving back a painting into a statement. And they're like, yeah, and it just, and it keeps on going. They actually have pulled the painting from the, the museum because too many people wanted to come and see the gay painting, which is not a gay painting. It is a woman, a wealthy woman from the 1600s finery, you know, <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. But now <laughs> everybody looks at it as a gay painting. So it's, it's oh, just crazy. very fascinating. And it continues to unfold as we're talking to different people of why and how this is transformed. So in some ways it's a, a subtle documentary, but it's also fascinating going down this rabbit hole with them as it becomes more and more convoluted in some ways, just because the painting now is considered gay. And they've become so anti-gay in Poland that they're giving away uh, stickers that you can put into your store that has the gay sign with the, the round circle and the cross out, you know, so it says no gays allowed. So, really? And that's oh, like, my goodness. Yes. So we're talking that's Nazi Germany, you know. And uh, so it, it, it's just really fascinating. So some of the shots that you saw is one of my ideas was how amazing it would be to have the costume recreated uh, that was in the painting. And we have this amazing Polish opera singer sing uh, Chopin. Uh, Chopin did write operas, strangely enough. And so she's singing Chopin in this. A beautiful costume in that beautiful room as uh, the photo that you see and that's going to be uh, the music to the documentary um, oh, so that's gorgeous. where that shot we're, thank you it's, it's going to be very and we're almost doing a, a music video with this I'm going to be putting in um, uh, old footage from the Nazis coming into town and taking things and being thrown in ditches it's going to be very, very graphic and kind of scary but it's just understanding also that we're, we are turning this, let's say it's three chapters. First chapter was, oh, my God, I give, I give the painting back, finding all about that. We give the painting back, then we find out something else happened. And then the third chapter is about what they're doing about being, bringing more uh, understanding of the LGBT rights to Warsaw. They've been giving money to the museum, to um, uh, KPH, as well as the Poland Museum, which is the, the Jewish Museum there, so it's it's um, it's just been a fascinating journey, and we're finally that, towards wow, the that end does of sound it. Amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited about that documentary. I'm also uh, editing a documentary called Giorgio that I just got uh, just before this all hit. Um, a filmmaker, um, David Swore, uh, came to me and asked me to edit the, a seven-year. They've been edit, shooting this documentary for seven years, and they came to me to put this together and make it make sense. I'm, I'm like, oh, my God. I, I looked at all the footage, and I'm like going, okay, okay. <laughs> I think I can do this. And it also it's such a beautiful uh, documentary about a, uh, a, gay, a lesbian couple who had two children, and then one of them, Giorgio, who – um, came to terms with the fact that they were trans and their transition. And so wow. it's about how it affects 
the wife and the children. And uh, so that's what that, that documentary is about. All right, yeah, we just have a couple of seconds up. Any other thing we need, to, we need to talk about real quick that you want to get out there? We'll save it for another time. Your choice. Uh, yeah, I think we did good. I've got a bunch. I mean, I could talk for hours. but <laughs> Well, you, it's because you never sit still. Like I said, it, it takes the pandemic to get you inside and get, get on a project uh, train there. So <laughs> Exactly, because now at least I'm editing all these things, you know. Uh, one thing I think that's kind of fun, fun. I don't know if that's the right word, I will say is that I, I did write with a, um, a, a short film that I want to turn into a document, a, a feature film, excuse me, uh, called Paradox. And it is about a young boy in Nazi Germany who's in the camp. And uh, he's uh, in the camps. They had what they had, capos that were, uh, typically in jails before that, and they brought them in uh, to to be the hard guy who would make the prisoners do what they wanted to do. But they would let these capos have sexual, like a, a wife, a slave. And they would let the gay, these young gay boys be brought in and they would be their possession. And this is something nobody knows about. And so we've written a short film about a, a capo and his his uh, possession, his young boy, and uh, um, how difficult that was to survive and live that way. Um, and I want to turn it into a, a feature film because I think it's a it's definitely a subject we've never heard of, and I think it's fascinating. It's not cheery. I'll tell you that. Sounds it, yeah. <laughs> but, no, but it sounds fascinating. fascinating though. Really I love fascinating. things like that. And we've been, I've been writing it with a, a person who has done all the research. He's, been a, he's a big, important researcher on all of that because I, want, I didn't want to have to read every book imaginable. So I brought in someone who has done that for me, you know. <laughs> so we're writing that together. And it's, it's a There you go. It's not, all, it's not all accurate. It's all, but it's all bits. All the bits are taken from different stories of accuracy, and so it's it's but it's not exactly a perfect of one person's story, so it's a combination. But I'm very excited about that. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours, my friend. I just fascinated with your work. You pick the most uh, great projects. I mean, you just have a an eye and an ear and uh, a thought for what's going to a trending topic or something that's really going to pique the interest of your fans. And I enjoy everything you do, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. And I just, just keep on going and doing. We need people like you to be talking about this, uh, about what other creatives are doing. And, and that's a major important input that you're doing for our community. So just, well, thank you, sir. I'm um, glad to get people's uh, work out there. Thank you. It makes me feel good to do it, and especially everyone off work right now. Believe it or not, starting next week, I'm going to go in from two shows a week to five shows a week. Between now and next Friday, I have 20 interviews scheduled. So, because uh, ev- everyone's off work right now, <laughs> so right. they all have a lot to right. talk about, and they all have projects <laughs> and that are on held, or they're trying to make their own, doing streaming things. So, it, it's it's working good for me. I, I'm I'm sad to benefit off others' misfortune, but I'm glad to get their word out that and let them know that if they have any streaming projects going on or just to see what's in the can. So as soon as our, we get back up and moving in this uh, entertainment and gig economy again, we can help everyone out and raise the boats up together. 
I love it. That's what we're going to do. We're, we're all in this together. I'm not using the term that they're saying on all the commercials, but us as a gay community, we've all understood what that means, is that we all have to help each other. We really do. It's the only way we, we keep on moving, you know? Very, so very you. true. Unfortunately, we've been through something like this a little bit before a couple decades ago. Exactly. So. Exactly. I was All right, well, we will myself. get it done. Billy Clifton, <laughs> case they're not uh, a stalker like I am so they can see that really cool mirror that you found for free, uh, where can they find you on social media? <laughs> well, just, uh, you know, I'm on Instagram. It's all the same. Billy Cliff Film, I believe, is my Instagram, or is that my Twitter account? Uh, and, and Instagram, and, and, of course, Billy Clift on uh, Facebook. So I'm on all those three. You are a dear, my friend. I love you graciously. Guys, we're going to have a special five questions with uh, Billy Cliff. Look for that on some bonus footage down the line. Stand the line, Billy. We're going to go ahead and play out, and we'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Circle. Yeah. Run, run. 
guys, we are back. That was Brian Justin Crum with Circles. I hope you're listening to him. He has some great music out there right now. Our next guest has been a great friend of the show over the years. He is from my current neck of the woods here in Ohio and is now living in my old neck of the woods out in beautiful California. He's an amazing artist whose works include the War Paint series, the Cheesecake Boys, so much more. His style and his heart. And just a dash of fun shows in all of his subjects and his work. Just in time for Corona 2020, he's put some of amazing artwork on face masks. And he's always giving back to the community in one way or another. So I needed to have him back on the show. Please welcome the extremely talented and generous Mr. Paul Richmond. Paul, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm just, you know, laying here in bed in my underwear drinking coffee chatting with you so what could be better (laughs) the way a corona corona 20 should be i'm liking that that's the way it should be who needs pants no one needs a brush anymore the heck with all that stuff exactly (laughs) Exactly. hashtag who needs pants i like it (laughs) (laughs) make that on bumper stickers not that we can drive anywhere right now (laughs) exactly i love yeah i've never had my car get three weeks to the gallon before it's amazing (laughs) i know you see now that's looking at the positive side (laughs) exactly right exactly well it's so good whenever we can have you on we get you on every six months or so and uh it's a little pressure today with these masks you had them before we kind of needed them everywhere so we'll talk about that in a little bit but uh talk about how you and dennis have been holding up in corona 2020 you just had a move like right before this or right in the middle of all this happening Tell me about this new place. Yeah. I'm excited for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a crazy time. We we you know found a house that we really liked and made plans to move before all of this happened, and then we ended up kind of having to move right in the middle of it. So it was a little stressful. There was one moving company here in Monterey that was still open, and we were the last move that they that they did before they closed down so if we didn't oh any longer we we would have been stuck or had to try to haul it all ourselves or something but we really you hauling it oh yes. no yeah she That's yeah that would have been a disaster <laughs> <laughs> but um but you know sheltering in place is kind of fun when you have a brand new place it feels like we're on vacation and we're having fun like decorating and all of that well most of our furniture that we ordered is in here so like we're kind of like sitting on the floor a lot <laughs> because everything's <laughs> nice. been delayed. But you know that if that's the go. if that's our biggest problem, we're doing we're doing good. But we're actually we're holding up great. My husband, I was telling you before we started, he's a nurse practitioner, so he's out, you know, working, taking care of patients. And then myself as an artist, um, I think that artists are probably the best prepared of anybody for this because we're used to spending time on our own and being creative right. and making something out of nothing. So I'm just kind of do it's business as usual for me. So we're doing great. Nice. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, still caring for mom. Mom's doing good. She hasn't left the house in five weeks. She refuses, but that's okay. Yeah. That's good. I did cheat one yeah. day and use her because when, when things first started happening and we started getting locked down here, cause Ohio locked down pretty early. Um, and yeah, I was so when impressed they first by started, that, actually. I wasn't, I mean, I got to tell you, as a tried and true Democrat, I got to give DeWine some props. He's done really good about yeah. making sure we we do this smartly. So I've been very excited. But I did tell mom yeah. one day early on, because they were 
we were hoarding just like everybody else across the country. There was like nothing on the shelves. I said, Mom, you're 81 years old. I need you to get in the store before 7 o'clock. So you have to get up early and get me in the store because seniors get in early. So I did use her for one day. (laughs) You were putting her to work. (laughs) Well, I just had her walk in the store. Then I said, you go back out in the car now and finish your coffee while I finish it up. That is awesome. I never thought of that. I'll just have to find some random senior citizen next time I need to get something from the store There you go. She's never been used for age before. It's never been an advantage. For her, so she didn't mind it that much. You could rent nice. her out to people. <laughs> that would be a whole new cottage industry. I like that, Paul. I like the way you think. <laughs> rent a grandma. I'm sure that's been done for a different reasons, but not for this before. We can rent a grandma. Rent a grandma, get again. all the toilet paper you you need. <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> so are you guys binging on anything while you're at home are you a big uh, purveyor of media or what what are you doing besides your art and everything to keep you occupied uh, well we i think like like everyone in america we watched uh tiger king that was the weirdest um did you see that oh my goodness i did <laughs> uh, it's a rabbit hole you can't get out of I didn't really want to watch no. it i didn't want to admit to it the first time but when everyone else started it's like okay i'll admit but it is a rabbit yeah. hole, right? Oh man, that was the that's probably the lot the latest binge that we did and it just got crazier and crazier. We couldn't turn it off. I did a uh, a Tiger King uh cheesecake boy coloring page a couple days ago. Ever since this um coronavirus hit, I've been putting a free coloring page up each day for people to download and color. And so one of the ones from this week was uh, Joe Exotic, and then he was so my Cheesecake Boys. For people who don't know, it's pinups, kind of like the pinup girls from the 40s and 50s, only with male models in those poses. So they're always kind of losing their clothes or having some sort of a you know cute moment. So I drew Joe Exotic like the Copper Tone Girl, only instead of a dog <laughs> you know pulling down his pants, it was a giant tiger. <laughs> It's so that cute. Was and that, actually, that was the that, most popular one I've done. <laughs> well, that was my next question, actually, because I was going to talk about that, and I want to. I want everyone to go and find these because you've been doing this now for about two weeks, a little over two weeks now, doing these fantastic free coloring pages, and we all need something to do while we're at home. But I was wondering if yeah. you were able to see how many downloads were done because I was wondering how that went. I'm not a statistics you know, person, so I don't – watch it closely but my website does you know have that ability and i i know that there were gosh thousands and thousands of uh joe exotic downloads i i don't i don't know for sure the the number but it it far surpassed any of the others so (laughs) i was thinking it might i I actually had that as a question because um it was (laughs) it was so cute and uh, i for some reason with everything with everything joe exotic going on i thought that's got to have broken the internet on you and you get a lot of downloads. So that's very, very cool. <laughs> it was. It was it was fun. <laughs> but I, I, people in general have been downloading the, the coloring pages a lot, which is, which is cool. I, I think we all need, you know, funny things to kind of help pass the time. And so I'm happy to do that. Anybody that's listening that wants to get in on it, you can go to cheesecakeboys.com. And um, every day there's just a brand new one that it, it gets uploaded. All the old ones go away, so you have to go there each day if you want to collect all of them. Um, right. And then you can just download the high-res coloring picture, 
and some people print them out and color them by hand. And there's also digital apps you can load them into. People like to color that way too. The one of the apps people use is called Recolor. So I get it's fun for me because I make these little drawings, you know. And I've been drawing Cheesecake Boys for years, but it's always like it cracks me up every time I draw one. I still love doing <laughs> them, and it's um, just so cool to see how people all over the world color them and interpret them in their own way. Uh, I to me that's really fun. It's it's kind of like I, I remember going to the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, not not far from you, and seeing how, right. you know, in Warhol's work he would have an image of something like Marilyn Monroe and then it would be repeated over and over and over again in all these different color schemes. And so that's kind of how I feel about my cheesecake boys. They're turning into their own right. little pop art moments with everybody's unique spin. I think that's so cool. It's got to be. I was gonna... We are back. That was Brian Justin Crum with Circles. I hope you're listening to him. He has some great music out there right now. Our next guest... Lovers in battle We build this tower This tower of Babel The sabers may rattle But I'm only fighting for you You're my obsession My love and my rival This song is a lesson These words are survival And I'm never letting you go I'ma keep fighting Betraying, so baby, stop playing. Cause I won't be waving the white. If you're not gonna walk it, then baby, don't talk it. Your words are like bullets, but I'm wearing armor and I'm never letting you go. I'ma keep fighting. I'll be standing right here in the mess that we made Cause I'm never gonna, no, I'm never gonna let you go Some battles are won and some battles are lost But you live with the pain cause there's always a cost But I'm never gonna, no, I'm never gonna let you go Cause baby, I'm a soldier, soldier Baby, I'm a soldier, soldier Baby, I'm a soldier I'm a keep fighting
All righty, guys, we are back. That was Billy Gilman with Soldier. If you missed Billy's interview, be sure to check the Left and Straight Show radio archives. We had him on a few weeks back. I'm so excited to talk to my next guest. I met him on social media, saw him doing some amazing gaming abilities, and uh, just like his style after going through his Instagram and everything. He's throwing his talents to the wind as he finds his true passions. He enjoys acting, modeling, improvisation, and is an avid gamer, like I said. He's also one of the ones that does have a little bit of anxiety over this time we're living through now in Corona 2020. So I want to ask him how he's dealing with that and how everything else is going. But let's bring him on to the show. Welcome for the first time to Lefty Straight Show, Mr. Jake Tyler. Jake, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. How are you? Good. And I think I said Tyler, Jake Taylor. I'm so sorry. I can't read my own writing. That's okay. No worries. Welcome to the show. You're calling in from beautiful Southern California. How is everything out there? Uh, everything is really great. I mean, the weather's been a little bit tricky, but, I mean, everybody's indoors, so it's uh, great for the foliage. And um, I don't know. You can't really complain about clear skies and sun and nice people. It's great. There you go. With everyone staying in, the, the skies are blue again, I'm sure, there. There's not as much smog everywhere. It's got to be kind of beautiful there right now. Definitely. I actually was uh, perusing my Twitter and I saw um, somebody had thrown their drone in the air and had, I guess, I don't know, been scoping out downtown LA and they took this amazing uh, sunset photo and it was completely clear smog. You could see the entire city. I mean, it was probably one of the most gorgeous photos of LA that I've ever seen. It was amazing. Oh, wow. That sounds so cool. I love that. I was born and raised in Southern California. I was raised in West Covina, so I know the area well. I've been banished for the last 20 years to Northeast Ohio here, because I guess I was bad or something. Uh, But I definitely miss me some L.A. sun and blue skies, that's for sure. Definitely. Um, I'm actually from Indiana, so hey, neighbor. There you go. Well, that's my my first question, actually. I want to talk about that. First time on the show, I was actually a little background. Talk to me about where you grew up. What kind of a kid were you? And what do you want to be when you grew up? Well, clearly I'm a psychic because that is your first question. Um, <laughs> but exactly. I, I have a pretty uh, interesting childhood, actually. Um, I was born in Maine, and I've lived all over the United States. Um, <clears throat> but I, as I said, my childhood is a little bit tricky. My older brother had a physical illness, and so he was strapped to a wheelchair, essentially, and my parents had to work 40 hours a week, uh, both of them, in order to keep up with medical bills and things like that. And so it was uh, on me to be his caregiver for about 10 years. And so that shaped oh, wow. a huge majority of my life. Yeah, it shaped a large part of my life. And so growing up, I always, I guess, had a lot of energy. And I always um, had like that giving sort of personality and that empathy. And early on, my parents uh, realized while moving around that I did have some sort of something and um, I was a huge fan of Jim Carrey. And so growing up, I always wanted to be an actor. And um, my dad, the very first day that he put me into acting classes, I wasn't doing well in school. Teachers had said that I had ADHD. They wanted to put me on medication and all this stuff. And my dad said, absolutely not. And he looked at me and he said, Jacob, go ahead and do this scene for me. You're a kid. I'm a firefighter. There's a cat in a tree. Beg me to get the cat down. Convince me to get the cat down. Me being six years old, I was like, okay. And he looked at my mom and said, we've got to get him into acting classes. And ever since I got into those classes, right? (laughs) 
uh, ever since I got into those classes, my grades shot up. Uh, I was top of my class. And um, ever since then, I just really cultivated a passion for the art. That's amazing. And were you able to study it in school? Did you have any uh, good teachers or background at your school? Because art's been cut out so much anymore. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was actually very fortunate to be in any small town that essentially still had the arts. And it's really funny because anywhere I did go, they also had like competitions. So to give you an example, um, when I was in high school, ninth grade, um, I lived in a small, small town called Ogallala in Nebraska. And um, Nebraska is really huge in the arts, specifically theater. And so we would go around for the one year that I was there, we did a competition with the rest of the schools in all of Nebraska. Um, We did like speech competitions, theater competitions, different types of performances. So some people did monologues, you did little scenes and um, the different ways that they were uh, constructed or performed would put you in a different category. So I did a lot of the competing with that. So yeah, I had a lot of cultivation growing up. That is awesome. So cool. And what got you to California eventually? Uh, That's also a crazy story. Not really that crazy. (laughs) But um, I was living in New York, and I had been there for six years, and I had done some modeling there. I had done some small acting gigs. But ever since I was a little kid, I always was mesmerized by Hollywood and, and being in television and in movies and being on billboards and all that stuff. It just always just captivated me. And one day I woke up and uh, my uh, apartment was up. My job, I didn't lose my job, but my job was like in flux. And I kind of, I had some savings and I looked around and I looked over at my partner and I said, babe, I want to move to LA. And he said, what? Because he's like a born and bred New Yorker. So he's like, hell no to LA. (laughs) Heck no, sorry. (laughs) And um, so I was like, I got to go. And so he supported me. I packed up a car and I drove straight to LA and I didn't look back. And that was about a year and a half ago. Wow. Congratulations. So that's great that you're able to do something of the day. They're just like hating their life right now. And it's like, dude, you're young. When you have these things, and this is a life moment for everyone right now with Corona 2020. If you don't like yeah. it, just change it. Everyone's going to be reinventing themselves when we get out of this. That's awesome. You did that. Definitely. That. Thank very, you. I appreciate it. Cool. Um, I think that the nomadic behavior of my parents, you know, moving around from Maine to Indiana to Western New York to Oregon to Nebraska back to Indiana, um, I think for me, I've always been able to sort of detach myself from somewhere. Um, as much as I love a city or I love um, an environment, I can always sort of like dig myself into something new and I'm always looking to reinvent myself and I find it very exciting when I can. That is so cool. All righty. And you are out and proud and openly gay as am I. Talk about when did you first come out to yourself and who was the first person you came out to? Wow. 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 Oh my gosh. (laughs) Blast from the past. Uh, Let's see. I think I first consciously realized that I was queer, um, specifically gay, Oh, man, it probably had to be when I was about 12 years old. I remember looking in the mirror, and I was raised in a First Baptist Christian family, and so, like, being homosexual was, like, the worst of the worst of the worst things that you could be. 
Um, so I always right. had a lot of fear with sort of what I always knew. But I remember one day looking in the mirror and being like, you're different. You are so different than your brothers. You're different than the people you talk to. You're different than your cousins. And I didn't have the vocabulary that I have now, but I just knew that there was something different about me. And it took me, I think it was, oh my goodness. I remember that's exactly what it was. I was 15 years old. I was living in Camby, Indiana, right by Plainfield where I went to high school. And uh, I worked at the McDonald's that was maybe 10 minutes walking distance from my apartment. It was my first job. And I was really close with this girl named Charlotte. And I would be very surprised if she even remembers who I am. But I remember one day (laughs) I was talking with her and she was like, you know, Jake, it sounds like you're having a lot of issues with your family. You know, I think you really just need to get something off your chest because I was just complaining about like, not being understood. And she was like, well, what's, what aren't you being understood? Like what's going on? And uh, I told her, I was like, I think I'm bisexual. And she was like, okay, that's cool. I have bisexual friends. And then um, I think that was the first like dab of like coming out was accepting that I'm not straight. And then I think the very first time that I came out is like, no, I'm gay. Like, this is what I am is when I came out to my parents. And that was when I was 16. And that was probably the scariest moment of my life. I bet. And that's still relatively Um, young too. Wow. Good for you, man. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, And it definitely, I don't know if this is going to be a segue into another question of yours, but um, uh, when I did come out to my parents, it definitely, and I'm sure a lot of people in America, maybe all over the world can relate to this. um, It did not go over well. Um, And it was, a struggle that lasted up until about a year and a half ago. And I'm 30 now. Uh, It lasted until about a year and a half ago. Essentially, there was a lot of like push and pull and a lot of like, this isn't the way that you can be and you've got to be straight. And, uh, you know, I love my parents and my parents did the best with what they had at the time. Um, But with that said, they did say a lot of hurtful things that they can't ever really take back. Um, and the things that they did say have shaped me into who I am and I think have affected the way that I carry on relationships with my partner and with my friendships and um, even people that I interact with on just an acquaintance level. And it took me a lot of soul searching and finding myself and really digging deep and being like, you're better than the product of your environment in order to shape myself into somebody that I wanted to be, which is, I think, who I am today, maybe. (laughs) That is an awesome journey, though. I love hearing that. And first, I hate you that you're 30 because you look about 22 in your pictures. You're amazing. So uh, there's that. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But let's talk about that because um, I want to get into that. We're in the time of Corona 2020 now. You and I have talked off air that we are, that have a little bit of anxieties that you're dealing with and like I'm, I've been dealing with it. Um, it sounds like you have a lot of forbearance of those with having to take care of your brother at a young age, having kind of unaccepting parents at first, how this anxiety has kind of manifested itself in you over the years and how you're dealing with that now in Corona 2020. Yeah, definitely. I think I always just had an underlying level of anxiety because my mom used to be a, a like hyper high strung person. I'm talking like 10 out of 10 all the time. We couldn't eat this. We couldn't look at that. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that because she was always afraid of something bad happening. Yeah. And so like, it was always out of love, but we know that we always like hurt the ones we love the most. Um, Right. 
And so I think growing up in that environment always just kind of like kept me on edge. And I'm very much most like my mom um, mentally and physically, like I'm pretty much her 2.0 and um, you know, putting on top of that, taking care of my brother and like being nine years old and having my mom look at me and say, you know, you need to start taking care of your brother more because I can't lift him. I'm not strong enough. And sort of having to do that at nine years old, having to do that sort of mental gymnastic of like, I'm a caregiver at nine years old and not really knowing what that meant, but knowing that I had a duty sort of over the years starting to feel um, that pressure as he got older and as his, you know, physical illness started to get worse. I started to feel more pressure to make it better. You know, when you're young and you understand finality and mortality and you understand that these things are eventually going to come to a close, but you have this like duty to keep him safe. It really creates that dissonance in your head of like, you don't really know what to do because you feel so helpless, but you want to be so helpful. Um, And I think that that has carried over into, um, well, I'm about to tear up. I'm sorry. Um, It carries over into adulthood um, where you just sort of like, you start to become that thing that you sort of pushed up, like pushed against, which is um, overbearing because I'm very like, I want to help everybody so much that I like dig into the point where they're like, you've got to give me a break. And then I take that really hard. And then I usually get into fights with people because I'm like, all I'm trying to do is help. But it's because I feel so helpless to somebody who doesn't necessarily want to help themselves or like whatever the case may be. But that's sort of how that anxiety is manifested and then it's created this, um, what my therapist in New York would say is catastrophizing. And now I don't know if I'm going on a rant. <laughs> but, no, uh, not at all. I thank you for being so honest. I mean, that, that's uh, very powerful stuff. And it's obviously still powerful to you. Talk about how you're dealing through anxiety. Um, you did talk to therapists. I kind of talked about the last couple of shows. Um, I haven't been to a therapist. I went a couple of years ago. I did weight loss surgery. And uh, they kind of make you do that for part of it. And it really um, brought out a lot of things that made me very happy, but I really haven't talked to him since, but with all the stuff going on now, I've actually times over the last three weeks just to kind of catch up and just kind of talk. It's good to talk about things. How are you coping now when you get anxiety? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I just want to say like, by and large, every person anywhere should have a therapist and you can like chisel it down and you can be like, oh, well, a therapist is just a glorified best friend. Yes. Somebody who is going to unabashedly listen to you with zero judgment, with a third-party perspective, who wouldn't want that? Like, it's literally, yeah, it's the the most amazing eye-opening experience. I guess how I'm doing it now is when I had my therapist in New York, we unfortunately did have to part ways. But uh, when we were working together, she helped me to unpack a lot of my unresolved issues with my brother and with my parents, because my brother's now passed away. Um, a lot of unresolved oh, issues with my brother. I appreciate that. And my parents, um, and then even with my partner and even my own anxiety. And so she taught me one of the things that I even do to this day. And um, I like to call it anchoring. And I'm sure that there's either a better term or that already is the term. But um, I call it anchoring. And what you do, you take five very deep breaths in, 
five very big exhales. And then what you do is you think about the five things that keep you in this world, the five things that you can not necessarily touch, but you can like point out and say, that is a real thing that I experienced. That is a real thing that I can hold on to, or I remember. And then what that does is that causes you to focus on yourself. And then from there, what I like to do is I like to say, at least to myself, because anxiety manifests itself very differently for people. For me, I tend to, as I said before, catastrophize. So I think about the very worst possible thing and then I focus on it and then I spiral out of control to the point where I'm in like mm-hmm. a crap storm and I don't know what to do. So I say to myself, you're catastrophizing. Look at the situation. What is the worst possible thing that could happen? And then I list the worst possible thing. And then what I do is I dial it back from that. And I go basically from a 10 out of 10 to like a 9 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10 all the way down to 1. And then I say to myself, Mm. now what's most likely going to happen? And then I usually land somewhere at like a 2 or 3. And then it seems so much more manageable because then I can take a step back and go, well, if it's only a 3, I know that I have the tools X, Y, and Z to take care of that. And then I usually can get myself out of that. Well, that's a great coping message. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, let's start That's also into... two years of, like, experience. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you, brother. All right, well, let's kind of start going into a little bit about more about what your goals are. Um, you said you were doing modeling and some acting work in New York. Talk about how that went and what's the transition been like going to L.A. with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, I do want to say that, like, I am so grateful for anybody who has ever given me an opportunity um, because it's just been so, I'm just filled with so much gratitude to have worked with people that I have worked with in the past and just seeing people just share art and just be so talented. So I just want to out the gate say, I'm so grateful for opportunities. Um, But working in New York, uh, when I first moved there, I actually like hit a brick wall and did not go anywhere. I hated the city. I had to move away and then come back to really like, get myself oriented with it. But um, I was fortunate enough to meet some people who were either in the NYU film program or they were freelance camera people or writers or directors um, or even people in comedy. Um, They saw my work ethic and they saw that I was a good person and easy to work with and kind and responsible and all those good things. And they brought me on to small projects that helped me to essentially build a base reel. And then um, one of my really, really, really good friends, um, Bill DePiro, he is, I consider him my writing and my improvisation mentor. Um, He might just say shucks and walk away, but he really is. (laughs) Um, He teaches at UCB and the Pitt in New York, and he was offering a free class for two people, and he extended that out to me, and that's where I got into improv. Um, and I fell in love with it. And anybody who is like an aspiring actor and I'm by no means, you know, where I technically would like to be, but take it or leave it. Um, anybody who is an aspiring actor, I implore you and encourage you to take improv. It is one of the best skill sets that I think anybody could ever have. It bleeds into writing. It bleeds into acting. It bleeds into emotional work. It bleeds into everything because you're your honest self reacting at a gut instinct. It's incredible. Um, And having that first experience in that class has really just opened up so many doors 
so many people. I was on a web series that's still in post-production. I was able to be on a Netflix film called Last Fairy. I had a small part, but I was able to create those relationships because of improv and Bill and my partner and all of these different people. From there, I was also able to take sketch comedy writing through a scholarship where I really fed into my love of writing and sort of creating voices and and situations and dialogue and things like that. And then finally with modeling, when I did move to Florida, where I moved to New York from, I took like a one-month stint away from New York, and I met my modeling manager at the time, Heather, uh, Heather Bazone, and she saw me and was like, I love your look. You should be in New York. And that sort of re-sparked my interest to go back to New York. And so when I did move back, I got signed with an agency. I did some work. I was on a music video called Golden Hour by a Japanese pop star. I would have to look up her name. It's been years now. Um, and it got like 6 million views or something. And so that's like my model fame. <laughs> yeah, it was super <laughs> fun. But I basically now, as far as modeling is concerned, I work with photographers and I collaborate and we try to just create art. Um, it's not something that I'm attempting to create money with, but I really started to appreciate the art form of like the human body and human expression through photography from New York and modeling in that regard. Thank you that now. I mean, you, we've talked about um, your, you do training as well. I mean, you're in fantastic physical shape. So talk about that, how that's kind of one's carried into the other. Oh my gosh. Oh, fitness, man. Fitness has been such an incredible journey for me. Um, it started 11 years ago. I was unhappy with where I was. I looked around. I just, everything was what felt like in shambles. And I decided one day to put my headphones in and just run. And I ran two and a half miles every day for two months. I lost 30 pounds. I got into the gym. I hired a personal trainer. Uh, basically, they taught me everything I know today up until like Equinox where I work. And I decided that fitness was something for me because when I would work out, I would stop being anxious. And anytime I felt anxious, I would do something physical with my body and it would go away. And I'm like, okay, there's something here. Today, fitness, what it does for me is not only does it keep me healthy and in shape and um, feeling and looking younger and all those good things, but I think for me, it also, it helps me to establish that personal relationship with myself because I'm not in competition with anybody else when I'm exercising. I'm in competition with myself. Can I do one more rep? Can I do one more set? Can I do this a little bit faster? And when you take your own body on that journey of like just breaking that barrier, it sort of makes you feel on top of the world. And it makes you feel like if I can do this, then what else can I do? And so when I do hit those slumps with like my acting and my modeling, or I feel like I'm in a, like um, I have like writer's block or something, and I feel like I just can't get through it or I'm not where I want to be. When I exercise and I show myself that I can push that one step further, it bleeds into my, my aspirations and goals of being like a big time actor and being an amazing writer, because it shows me that if you just keep pushing forward and just going one step further than you did yesterday, you are going to get, and fitness isn't a destination. It's a journey. It's a constant journey. It never ends. And same with your other goals. They should never end. They should always be, evolving you know 
That's great. And I love that you said you're really not in any competition against anyone else because that's the way it should be in life. I mean, it doesn't feel that way, especially when you're doing acting and writing and going against so many other people in auditions. But you really are only performing against yourself. It's, it's You're making yourself better, and fitness is a journey that starts that. So that's a, that's a great analogy. I love that. I appreciate that. Thank you. And talk about um, – what you're doing in LA now, are you do, do you do the, I mean, everything's so upside down now. We can't talk about today, obviously, because nothing's doing anything, yeah. but do you do the pilot season every year or do you, is it, is, are you, do you do that grind or what's kind of your, what are your goals for yourself now? What would you like to see of yourself in say two to five years? Definitely. That's a really good question because I've been actually thinking about that a lot with all this downtime that I've had. Um, so, given myself a little bit of leeway because um, obviously, as you know, LA is a very established city and you have established actors, established agents and where there is a lot of opportunity, it takes a little bit of time to sort of get in the flow. And so um, for me, I've been very patient with myself and moving to LA and saying, let me get established. Let me make money. And then from there, I'm going to go ahead and uh, start taking classes. And then from there to then do um, pilot week or pilot week, pilot season, excuse me. It's one week, guys, just one week. Um, <laughs> I'm, it's, it's been, I've had to be very patient with myself because I will have days where I'm like, you're not doing anything. You need to be doing more. You moved out to LA for a reason. Why are you even here? And we are our worst critic when it comes to that stuff. And it's just, you got to be patient right. with yourself. Just breathe. But for two to five years, what I want to do is I want to, um, I'm actually working on a pilot and I'm really excited about it and um, I'm writing it and I think it's going to be really, really, really awesome. Um, and so for the ne- within the next two to five years, I want to see that sold and in complete production and casted and everything. And I want to, I have so many goals. I want to uh, create my own sketch comedy show, like a black lady sketch show or the astronomers club on Netflix um, something nice. that is specifically queer. Thank you. As far as my writing is concerned, I write solely um, LGBTQ comedy and solely LGBTQ um, TV and film. So I don't write anything that has to do with heteronormal, like heterosexuality, unless they're like minor characters, because I think that our community needs a voice. Yeah, we need a voice and it's time. And I think people are ready for it. I think the talent is very clearly there. And I want to be one of the people at the forefront of it. That is great. Congratulations. And we are going to follow that success. Now talk a little bit. Like I said, I really got to see you. I've been following you on Instagram for a while because honestly, I think I saw a a video, a live thing a while back. And uh, so I've been following you for a while now. And I saw one of your live gaming things. Talk about gaming, what kind of a stress reliever that is and talk about how it compares uh, I've always wondered, because I'm not a gamer, I'm horrible at it, especially first-person shooters. I just don't have the eye-hand coordination of those damn things. But talk about okay. <laughs> the sense of community in it and how the community works in the LGBT community especially, because kind of, I'm wondering, because you talk and play against other people, I'm wondering how that community evolves and how it works in LGBT. Is it their own community, or does it kind of go with the straight community as well? Or talk to me about that a second. Educating. Yeah, def- gaming has always been a part of my life ever since I was a little kid. Um, I I mean, I learned to play with a mouse and controller before I could learn how to do pretty much anything else, throw football even, like <laughs> anything. 
so it's always been a huge part of my life. As far as stress relief is concerned, I play video games. I play pretty much everything but sports and racing games. Um, I love the storylines. I love the, the, the strategy of things. I love any game that you play. It really is like a chess match. You know, you're really trying to one up the other person and keep them guessing enough so that you can win. And so for me, that like, that sort of mind puzzle is really, really, really fun. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I love Resident Evil, which is one of those games where you kind of have to be strategic with time, ammunition, space in your inventory. Very fun. As far as the gaming community is concerned and like the LGBTQ becoming a lot more prevalent now to have openly queer people playing and very much having a presence, whereas even 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, it really wasn't there. You, you know, heard people saying derogatory things online, um, you heard uh, people just just doing really bad things and, you know, saying, well, you're gay, so you're not really a gamer or get out of here. We don't want you here. Um, and in some respects, the gaming community is just as toxic as a lot of other communities that we um, sort of, I guess, shame, like sports or something like that. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, but like I said, it is shifting because – I remember I was playing, it was maybe like two years ago, I was in New York, and I was playing a game, and a kid said, uh, he said a derogatory term um, for a gay guy, uh, one that isn't very nice for really anybody to say, and I took a second, and I said, hey, you know, I'm gay, and I'm playing with you, and you don't realize how offensive that term is, and how much that really hurts me, and even hurts the people that you don't think it's hurting. Like you're saying it because you heard your older brother say it, or you're saying it because you grew up saying it, but you don't understand the actual affect of it. And he took a second and I was like, you know, and I'm also, I got like the lead kills on this team. And so if I'm going to be that word, then look, you just got bested by that word. So like, what do you have to say? And he was like, yo, bro, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize that I affected you like that. I was like, well, mind your words. So you have to understand that, this affects people. And granted, 95% of the time, people will be like, oh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And like, but that one person was able to like reflect a little bit and be like, I'm really sorry I did that. And then we ended up becoming friends on Xbox and we played a little bit together and we didn't really like continue it, but it starts with the conversation and it doesn't matter how toxic the community is. It doesn't matter how difficult it is to kind of spearhead and get through to them. It's a conversation, and you have to just keep pushing it. And that's what I've learned with the gaming community, for sure. Very cool, and good for you for doing that and kind of speaking. A lot of people don't speak out, and we kind of tend to be intimidated, especially when you're not in a one-on-one situation, which is surprising because what can they do? Turn off your game or something? But it's, it's great when we actually stand up for ourselves and – as you said, a lot of people don't realize that what they're saying, they're just ingrained because they've heard it a thousand times from their family, from the community, from whatever, and don't understand that, hey, in today's day and age, you're actually dealing with a lot of uh, these people that you may not know. So that's fantastic. Good for you, man. Definitely. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, Jake Taylor, it's been amazing having you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to see where this is going to lead you. I think we're going to see uh, – an LGBT a character piece written, directed, and starring Jake Taylor anytime now. Congratulations, man. 
Thank you so much. And dude, you've been amazing. Congratulations on your journey through uh, therapy and your um, surgery. And you've been literally awesome. And I've had so much fun. Thank you so much. It's been great having you on and let my listeners know so they can follow you. And I have a lot of LA listeners so they can look you up at Equinox. Tell me what kind of classes you're teaching there. Are you doing personal training? And then where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, definitely. So at Equinox, um, I am a personal trainer. Uh, I work at the WeHo location, um, the best and gayest location, in my opinion. Uh, so it's super fun, <laughs> great energy. Um, and then on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Jake Dean Taylor. You can follow me on Instagram at Jake Dean Taylor. I think that's all the social. Oh, I have TikTok too, but it's not good. But if you do want to follow that, it's Lucky Jake. <laughs> Um, and then as far as Twitch is concerned, if you ever want to see me stream, it's at Lucky Jake Dean. Yeah. So come by and just drop a line and let me know how queer you are. Cause I'd be excited to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jake Taylor. Stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to play out here and we'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the left of straight show right here on the left of straight radio network. blue to make an end. 
All right, you guys, we are back. That was Sky, written by our buddy Michael Mott and sang by Broadway's Ben Frankhauser. Guys, thank you much for listening to Left the Straight Show today. Uh, it seems like we had a technical glitch with Paul Richmond's interview kind of partway through. I'm going to refix that and repost it here so it plays entirely on the feed available tomorrow. So, Paul, I apologize for that. But big thanks to our guests. Very much appreciate them all calling in last week. Uh, it was so good to talk to Billy Clift, Paul Richmond, and Jake Dean Taylor. Guys, tomorrow I have a great show for you. Two interviews Carson Jones will be up first. Carson is a zookeeper by day, LGBT advocate by night, and his dad just happens to be a U.S. senator, the first Democratic senator in the state of Alabama for 25 years. And Carson was kind of known as the side-eye around the world looking at Mike Pence when uh, his dad was sworn in. And so uh, Carson is a great member of our LGBTQ community, great advocate for it. He'll be on first tomorrow. And then I have Andy Dugan on. He is a lawyer, and he works with Equality Ohio here in Ohio. And I had him on to talk about our rights during Corona uh, 2020 and different things for the LGBT community to look out for with uh, uh, people being out of work and housing and things like that. So a good conversation with Andy Dugan from Equality Ohio. There's some great information for that tomorrow. So we'll be back. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll be here Monday through Friday the next two weeks. Be sure to download the episode on your favorite podcast and subscribe at either Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or Spotify, or any of your podcasts. You have one, about 12 of them. We'll be back tomorrow, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.